So I, I think today's podcast, I know what's going to happen. Um, that after today, tonight, I'll be talking to my wife saying, we've got to go back. Yeah, as Dave says, catch it in the right light. Maybe go for sunset or sunrise and you'll get a really, really special view. So find out what special view Siobhan is talking about and why Dave is so keen to get back to this destination as today we pack a huge amount into episode number 26 of the Travel Podcast and we're heading back to one of our favourite destinations and today in particular we're heading to destination New South Wales. You're listening to The Travel Podcast. Travel Podcast, today's most exciting travel destinations. Brought to you by people with a real passion for travel. Great holiday ideas, real reviews, practical advice, and all the best deals in one simple podcast. The Travel Podcast. Now here is your host, Steve Witt. Everyone, so welcome to another episode of The Travel Podcast. Now, as you probably know from previous episodes, I I'm in love with the concept of going to Australia. It's high on my, on my list of places to go. I've got friends and family dotted all over Australia. So today we thought it was another great opportunity to dive into one of the great locations or areas of uh, Australia, and in particular, New South Wales. So very lucky today to be joined by Siobhan and Dave. Dave from the Travel Podcast team, but Siobhan, um, quick intro to yourself, if we could, please. Yeah, so I'm Siobhan Shaw. I'm the regional manager for UK and Europe for Destination New South Wales, which is the uh, state government organisation that uh, promotes tourism and major events in Sydney and across uh, New South Wales. Fantastic. So we're going to be learning more about New South Wales as we go. It is an amazing destination. Now, you may have listened to previous episodes of the Travel Podcast where we talk about Australia as a whole. Um, Let's give that a little bit of context. So before delving into New South Wales, um, Siobhan, can you sort of tell us just how big is Australia for anyone who doesn't already know? It's very big. <laughs> um, I think that's probably one of the, the main things that a lot of people, when they're first thinking of planning a trip to Australia, they perhaps underestimate its size. Um, so, of course, New South Wales is situated on the east coast. Um, it's that sort of middle part of the east coast. So there's Queensland bordering it to the north and then Victoria bordering that to the south. And although you could definitely have, um, you know, a lot of great experiences within just a couple of weeks in Australia, um, it definitely pays to do your research and to pick a select few destinations to go to to make sure that you really enjoy the experience. Um, it's probably a bit unrealistic to expect to see absolutely all parts of Australia in your first visit. And, uh, you know, particularly if you do want to dart from the north to the south, the east to the west coast, um, you'd need a lot of time and, um, it, you know, a lot of air miles probably as well to get get yourself around. So, um, yeah, I suppose just to put into context in terms of um, some of the distances just within New South Wales, you can drive from Sydney um, to the north coast town of Byron Bay. That would probably take you around sort of 16 hours or so if you did it in one hit. Um, so that's still just within one state of Australia. So we normally recommend that sort of drive that you do over sort of four to five days to make sure that it's sort of palatable and you're only doing about three hours driving a day or so. Um, so that just, I guess, gives just one example of some of the scale of the distances between the different destinations. Wow, is probably the only thing you can say to that. Um, I, I always think that, you know, we're an island nation in the UK, so you tend to think of Australia being an island, it must be quite small, but it's not, is it? I think I heard somewhere that you could fit the entire population of the world into Australia. That's how big it is, so... Yeah, it'd be pretty cosy, probably. <laughs> I, I remember just to see how 
Sorry, go on. I was going to say, we're talking before we came on uh, the recording today, that um, how many times have you been uh, to Australia? Uh, 13, Steve, the last count. Um, but it is about time I went again. So I, I think today's podcast, I know what's going to happen. Um, that after today, tonight, I'll be talking to my wife saying, we've got to go back. We've got to go back. Because I've never actually been with my wife. How about that? I've been with other people's wives, but not my own. But um, <laughs> no, but it's been a long time since I've been. But I just want to pick up something you said earlier, Siobhan, was that I remember the first time I went to Australia, and we, you fly in over the sort of northwestern coast, and then you get out of your seat and say, oh, I'm just going to get everything ready from the, the, the upper sort of container. But then it's then you've still got a few hours to go. You think, oh, we're just coming over Australia. But um, actually, I think Perth to Sydney is about the same from London to Moscow. It's just you can see how vast it is, you know. Yeah, it's about five hour flight between Perth mm. and Sydney. So that just gives you an idea of the scale of the, the breadth of the country. Definitely. So we're talking about Sydney there. Now, let's say we're going to fly from the UK now. Obviously, there's over 100 different countries where people listen to our podcast. But flying from the UK, um, we want to go to New South Wales. Is it Sydney we're going to be flying into? Well, almost certainly, yeah. That's the biggest international gateway, not just for New South Wales, but for Australia as a whole. So, you know, fortunately, it means there's a lot of choice for people flying into Sydney. You can fly one-stop flights, you know, from the UK and other European countries as well via a lot of different destinations around the world, whether you choose to go via Asia or perhaps via the Middle East, or you can even do a sort of North American stopover as well. Um, so there's a lot of different flight options available um, that also, you know, make it a really um, sort of compelling choice for people. And, you know, if they wish to, they could combine that with a stopover somewhere as well. Um, it's around a sort of 22 to 24 hour journey from the UK. So definitely, you know, it's nice to have that break in the middle where at least you get off the plane and stretch your legs. Um, I personally quite like to go all the way through. I think it's, um, you know, you just push through and then you get there and then it means you've got more time to enjoy yourself in Sydney. Um, and I suppose my little tip, personally, I like to land in the evening in Sydney. So if you land about six o'clock in the evening, then you've got a few hours to kill while you have some dinner, um, you know, have a shower, get yourself freshened up, maybe go for a quick walk then you're tired enough to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and will hopefully sleep through the night to kind of combat that jet lag as well. Fantastic. So Sydney must be one of the most iconic destinations in, in Australia and New South Wales. You land, you get off the plane in the evening, let's say. What, what's the first thing you're going to be doing? Oh, I think it's got to be going down by the harbour. I mean, Sydney's appeal is really its, its location right by the water. Um, you know, you get those picture postcard views right down by the Sydney Opera House or the Sydney Harbour Bridge. It's that real kind of wow factor moment. Um, I mean, some people that fly over Sydney to come into land actually will fly over the Sydney Opera House. So you get that first glimpse of it um, when you sort of fly over the city coming in. Um, but you definitely want to get down there and get up close and personal with it. So there's plenty of bars and restaurants around the circular key area um, where you can start to orientate yourself around the city. Um, that's where the main sort of ferry terminal is as well, where you can then start to do your research, perhaps on which ferries you'll take, or if you want to pick up a cruising option as well to do a tour of the of the harbour, um, you can do that from there. So it's quite a nice place to sort of sit, relax, get your map out, and start planning your uh, your your trip around Sydney and and what you're going to see and do. So Dave, you're nodding all the way through that with a big smile on your face. <laughs> Yeah, Siobhan's right. I mean, the first the first thing you do with any big city is make yourself familiar with it. 
And you're right, get down to uh, Circular Quay around the rocks area, some great sort of bars. I remember a bar called the, I don't know, it's probably still there, called the Fishbowl down in um, in the rocks. But also, and, you know, once you've seen the city and the Sydney Tower, but also you can get the ferry over to Manly. So the Manly Ferry is, Manly is a great beach area. And that's one of my, one of the best things about Sydney is that you can do so much. You've got a fantastic city and you've got a beach, uh, some, well, a lot of beaches, but you've got Manly as well. Um, but um, yeah, it's down by, the, down by the rocks and Circular Quay. You've got Darling Harbour again, which is a new, newer area. But um, yeah, it's so, uh, so much to do there. So I'm flying into Sydney. Um so many great things to do now is it a place you just go and stay or would i expand out from there or how long should i be spending in sydney before going off and doing anything else well it's a really tough one it depends how much you want to do i think as dave alluded to there there's so much to do in sydney um, and really something for each kind of traveler as well depends what kind of experience is, is your bag really i mean you could easily spend a few nights in the city and do you know some of the attractions or the museums and the cultural experiences there or just spend a bit of time as uh, dave said exploring the pubs around the rocks or you know you can then spend a couple of nights by the beaches whether you choose bondi or manly so easily you could spend you know a week or so just in sydney itself but i think a few nights there particularly to orientate yourself get yourself familiar with the city and also adjust to you know australian time that's a, that's a good length of time and then perhaps it's hitting the road and trying to get to some of those other areas beyond the city where you get a very different experience. So, mm. you know, just within 90 minutes away from the city, you've got the Blue Mountains, which is a World Heritage listed national park, um, the beautiful Australian natural landscapes, or you can go a bit further sort of north and uh, hit the Hunter Valley, which is Australia's oldest wine region. So there you can just sit and sip some of the local wines and enjoy some of the amazing food on offer there. Or if you're into, you know, self-driving and want to sort of hit the road and go a bit further, then you can either drive north, as I said, up to Byron Bay or, or head down south um, towards the Victoria border and on towards Melbourne. So there's there's so many options. And I suppose it just depends on, on what people are looking to experience the most out of their, uh, their trip to Australia. So you said they're about driving. Dave, have you driven while out in Australia? I have. Yeah, several times. I definitely recommend it getting out of this, getting out of city. And I would. It, as, as Siobhan said, I drive west over to the Blue Mountains, and it's an amazing area. Again, it's, it's that diversity where you've got the city, you've got the beach, and then you've got the mountains. So I'd definitely go west to the Blue Mountains. And there's some amazing wineries around the Hunter Valley. You know, Australia's famous for its wine. Um, so I'd definitely go out and spend some time there. And again, the northern beaches and further up, that the coastline north of Sydney is stunning. I'd probably have a month there, to be honest. Here's a question. Are the Blue Mountains actually blue? Yeah, um, well, they kind yes, of have this sort of haze, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, you get it in the right light. They are definitely blue, yeah. Yeah, they, it's, a, it's actually the eucalyptus oils that rise up from the trees mm. that when the sunlight hits it sort of create this sort of blue haze. Mm. Um, so that's where they get their name from anyway. So, yeah, as Dave says, catch it in the right light, maybe go for mm. sunset or sunrise and you'll get a really, really special yeah. view. I, so worked would you in Katoomba. Sorry. Sorry, Steve. I worked in Katoomba for a while, so I used to go to the Blue Mountains every day. So I worked up in Katoomba and um, again, yeah, some great wildlife up there too. So would you base yourself in Sydney and then drive out and do these as day trips or would you move around as part of that sort of touring experience? 
Um, I personally would move around and, and base yourself in each of these regions for another night or two as well. Um, I think that really helps you to get the most out of it. Um, Dave mentioned the town Katoomba there. That's sort of the main hub of day trippers from Sydney uh, into the Blue Mountains. Um, so you get a lot of people that do choose to just do a day trip. But if you want to experience, um, you know, the national park and, and actually go more deeply into the, the natural landscape, perhaps hit some of the bushwalking trails, spot some of that wildlife that Dave mentioned, um, or even just kind of relax with the locals in some of the, the cafes in towns like Lura um, and Blackheath, you know, then you need, a, you know, a couple of nights or something so you can actually relax and enjoy the environment that you're in. Um, amazing sort of stargazing as well. You can walk down to Echo Point, which is where you get that great view of the Three Sisters, which is the iconic rock formation that the Blue Mountains is known for. And if you go there during the day, you know, there'll be lots of people trying to get their 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 photos with the with the three sisters um but if you go there at night there's likely to be a lot fewer people there maybe just only a handful plus the um the rock formation itself is lit up at night so you know you get that um amazing evening experience get it's a bit quieter you get it all to yourselves and if the sky is clear you get some amazing views of the stars as well i've actually got a friend who's just moved back from australia who says that the stargazing down in australia is the best in the world so mm. clear less light pollution, move back to the UK, hates it in comparison. <laughs> yeah, I think if you're into your camping and the outdoors, it's uh, it's an amazing spot. So you're talking about touring around, get a car, obviously, you know, it's fairly easy to drive down in Australia. Um, would you sort of just turn up in Sydney and start to explore or would you have a plan before you go? What What's the sort of recommendations or what would you do? I'd probably, I mean, sorry, do you want to go first? No, you, you go ahead, Dave. I think you'd plan the the bigger picture. So I'd plan to have how many days I was going to have into Sydney, how many I was going to have sort of in the west or up the coast. But in Sydney itself, the, the actual city is quite sort of, it's not massive, you know, the, the outskirts and the suburbs, but you can actually work that sort of thing out when you get there. Um, and I think the, the beauty of a city is when you get there is to find your bearings, and work out what you're going to do. But I'd probably work out I'd have five days in Sydney, four, four or five days in Sydney, and I'd have a couple of days here, a couple of days at the winery or whatever, and then I'd work it out when I got there. But I would plan how many days to be in each each place, and I would book my accommodation ahead too. Yeah, I think that's a good a good tip. And then it also gives you an idea of how much driving you'd be doing, for instance. So, or, you know, if you don't want to drive, perhaps you want to catch the train, you can plan that in as well. Uh, or if you want to sort of fly as well to another destination, like you can also fly from Sydney to Byron Bay if you just wanted to do those two destinations. So, yeah, I think it's worthwhile, as you say, planning the sort of bigger itinerary. Um, but certainly, um, as they said, part of the joy of, um, of traveling is just sort of discovering things around the corner and, you know, going to those, um, the bar that looks, you know, busy and popular with the locals, get in there, speak to an Aussie, they'll tell you where to go next and, um, you know, get some of those insider tips. I think that's part of what makes um, traveling so um, exciting. If it's something that people like, is there's a great coach route that goes up the coast as well. I, I actually got the coach from Sydney to Byron Bay and then stopped on the way a few times. Uh, and that was a great experience. The, the coaches were great quality as well. And it wasn't just backpackers. It was, there were families on there as well. So the coach network is very, is very good. So, I mean, we talked about backpackers. Obviously, that's a, 
we know that that's a really popular destination. People take a gap year to go uh, to Australia, but is it a destination that appeals to everybody? I think so. Um, you know, there is definitely something for everybody. Um, I mean, families, as Dave said, it's definitely a good family destination. There's down by Darling Harbour, there's lots of sort of family friendly attractions and the museums there. And obviously, again, as, as we've mentioned, you've got the beaches and things like that. So there's there's definitely lots of great family experiences. The food and wine lovers. I mean, Sydney is a world class city for its food. Um, you know, one of the best seats at the table is by the water. So, you know, head on down to some of the restaurants like Icebergs down at Bondi, or you could even go um, to one of the fine dining restaurants like Key or Benelong. And Key actually is situated opposite the uh, Sydney Opera House. So you get these amazing views over the harbour whilst you're eating your um, sort of amazing modern Australian cuisine. So for the food and food lovers, there's definitely something there. Um, we touched on the nature and the wildlife. There's over 870 national parks just within New South Wales. So if you like to get out into nature and experience um, the natural landscape, perhaps um, try and catch some of the local wildlife, then there's, there's an, a huge amount of opportunities to do that. And a lot of those national parks are accessible to some of the bigger destinations. Um, if you go uh, sort of up the coast, as Dave was saying, there's there's one called Dorigo National Park, which is part of the Gondwana rainforests of Australia. That's near a town called Coffs Harbour. There's also plenty of options near Byron Bay itself and in the Tweed region in the north coast of New South Wales. Um, also down, if you head towards the south, uh, south coast of New South Wales, uh, you've got Royal National Park, which is Australia's first national park. And it's only about an hour south of Sydney. And from there, you've got great vantage points looking out over the ocean where you can hopefully spot humpback whales when they're migrating up the east coast, uh, which happens between sort of May and November each year around New South Wales. So um, some amazingly different, um, diverse and unique experiences for all kinds of travellers, really. And also, Sydney is, is great for sport as well. And everyone knows how competitive the Australians are. If you get a chance, if you get a chance to go to Sydney Cricket Ground, um, it's a great experience. Not easy to get tickets, but you can watch New South Wales games. Um, I remember being at Sydney Cooker Ground when they had the old hill, which is just grass, uh, many, many years ago. Um, so it was great for that. They love rugby in, in, in Australia and Sydney as well. Some great rugby stadiums, uh, swimming. Um, so sport is great. They love sport and, and, and the outdoors. So if you get a chance, I think you can do a tour of the Sydney Cooker Ground, I, I would imagine. But um, I definitely, definitely recommend that. Yeah, you, you can do a tour of the um, yeah sort of behind the scenes of Sydney Cricket Ground. So um, you can be fortunate enough on you know on the right day to get to go into some of the changing rooms and things like that as well for the cricketers. Um, there's a lot of uh, history there, as uh, Dave said, between particularly England and Australia. So some of the markers still remain from some of that competition in in those uh, historic buildings. So that's pretty special to see. Um, and there's also the Donald Bradman Museum actually for those people who are into their cricket. Uh, down in the Southern Highlands, which is another sort of 90 minutes away or so from uh, from Sydney. Um, again, sort of more towards the southern regions of the state. So you could also incorporate that on a self-drive if you're planning, you know, a drive down the south south coast or towards the south, towards Canberra or, or Melbourne. Fantastic. And I'm right in saying there's a lot of beaches, 100 plus mm. beaches in Sydney alone. 
Yeah, I think if you go into Greater Sydney, I think there's sort of 70 or so within uh, within Sydney, and then as you expand out, obviously, yeah, you get more and more. Um, yeah, there's there's so many options available. I mean, Bondi is the most famous, but um, you know, even if you just sort of um, take the ferry up to Manly, or there's there's a great walk actually from Bondi to Coogee Beach. Um, it's about a six-kilometer walk. And you you walk past a lot of sort of lesser known of, of Sydney's beaches, so um, Tamarama and yeah, as I say, you sort of wind your way around to Coogee. There's Bronte Beach there as well, and there's these great um, ocean pools. So um, for those people who might want to kind of almost have like a sort of swimming pool experience, but in the ocean, um, you've got these amazing rock pool type uh, pools around dotted along the coastline as well. So that Bondi to Coogee route, um, as I say, it's six kilometres, so you can do it easily in an afternoon and just stop off at different swimming points and um, chill out on the beaches there. They have um, these great electric barbecues along the route as well. So if you want to um, grab your own food from the supermarket, um, you can actually cook up your own barbie. And there you go. That's real, the real epitome of Australian life, isn't it, really? Having a barbie by the beach. <laughs> yeah, the, the beach is amazing. Um, my particular favourite is Palm Beach, which is a, a bit north, the northern beaches. You've got Palm Beach and Whale Beach sort of next to each other. And uh, if I could ever live anywhere and have a house anywhere, it would be overlooking Palm Beach. I don't think I'd ever be able to afford that, but but also Manly Beach. And then again, further north, uh, Coffs Harbour, which is one of the places I stopped on the way to Byron Bay, which is where you have the banana plantations, I think, is it? Is it all the banana yeah. plantations in Coffs Harbour. But Coffs Harbour is stunning and, and the beaches in Byron Bay are, are amazing. And you've got the lighthouse, uh, but I think it's probably a bit more developed since I was there. So possibly. We'll <laughs> We'll talk about Byron Bay in a minute, but Dave, you've lived in Australia. Tell, tell us, a, well, both of you, tell us a little bit about the sort of culture of the people, because obviously we have this sort of stereotypical view of a typical Australian uh, for a shimp on the barbie type of sort of scenario. What is it like? Is it that sort of laid back, chilled out lifestyle that we we all aspire to to be a part of? Yeah, absolutely. My, one of my first sort of... Um, impressions of when I when I was there was that you just got so much more space you know it is you know the houses mostly are sort of one story but one thing I found was the, how friendly the people were and I generally mean that and in a way sometimes it could be over friendly if that's in, in a good way is that your your next door neighbor will just turn up with a with a with a with a crate of beer um, and we'll just come in they went oh they're right they'll just turn up um, with beer or wine or or barbecues and it sort of is like that. And they're very inquisitive people, very, you know, they want to know everything. But I, I just found so, I made so many good friends uh, over there, but it's just so more open, friendly, and and there's a great sense of, of community as well, you know? Just to be honest. Check. Yeah, sorry? You said that like there was a problem with the with your neighbor turning up with a crate of beer. My, I, I have a problem with my neighbour turning up the crate of beer, <laughs> but um, but I think like I, where I'm living here in the UK, I, I never really sort of you don't really know the people that live around you, whether that's just me, I don't know. But in Australia, they make it there, they make sure that you know who they are. You don't really get a choice, and that's a good thing. Uh, and then you can have two or three or four or five people turn up, and I like that sort of impromptu sort of way they live. Um, where I guess we're a little bit more reserved here sometimes. Um, but, um, and it's just, yeah, it is more outdoors. It's more fun, a lot more relaxed, I find. I don't know if that's what you think, Siobhan. 
Yeah, I think it's all that sunshine, isn't it? Um, definitely yeah, it makes helps, you yeah. relax. <laughs> but I, I think you're right. There's a real, um, there's a real warmth to the people over there, mm. and and um, Dave mentioned the space that you have. I think a lot of people, you know, outside of Sydney, there's lots of regional communities as well, and people really come together in those communities because some of them can be quite remote as well. So I think you really need to pull together to support each other, and um, and yeah, you just got to enjoy each other's company. And people mm. are really proud of the places that they live, and I think when you go and visit them. Um, that's really that really comes across and they really want to share their local experience with you I mean whether you go to one of the wine regions or the the coastal towns I think people are super proud of what they of what they have there and their way of life and there's a lot of um local produce and like an emphasis on making local and buying local and and that sort of thing which um you know that is a real ethos of Australia and I think that's something that does help them to make make them you know a warm and welcoming um community of people when they receive visitors from overseas so it does genuinely make it easier for people to travel around to have that sort of just go out and explore type attitude which might be alien to people traveling from the uk because they are used to the package holiday type product but mm. australia is about exploring i guess yeah, definitely getting off the beaten track. And um, I think, you, yeah, you will find lots of Australians will be happy to sort of help you on your way, definitely. Um, yeah, don't feel nervous about asking for people to give you recommendations. Um, you know, if you're going into a local bar in Sydney, ask the bartender or somebody else who's in the bar for a few recommendations on things to do or places to see, because um, you might miss out otherwise. You know, there's often so many events and things like that that happen in the city particularly, but also in regional parts of the state um, that you might not otherwise know about before you get there. But, you know, oh, there's a great local farmer's market that's on, it's only on once every, once a month on a Saturday, but you're here that weekend. So great, get them down there and you'll, you'll get some of our local produce um you know things like that that you only really pick up through sometimes speaking with the people that that live there um yeah particularly if you are getting a bit more off the beaten track as it were so we've mentioned sport we've said about the beaches we've said go exploring so many national parks um more than well hundreds you said wasn't it um so that's great wine we mentioned as well 14 different wine regions did i read Yes, yeah, 14 different wine regions throughout uh, New South Wales. I think the Hunter Valley is the most well-known. It's sort of well-known for its Semillon variety particularly. And you've got some really um, historic um, vineyards there, winemakers there like Tyrrells and Broken Woods, um, some of the, you know, the older establishments. And then if you want to uh, go and experience some of the more new wines, then there's great places like Orange and Mudgee in the central west regions of New South Wales, um, which are doing some fa fantastic things with like sort of cool climate wines in Orange. Um, and they're, they're really experimental. I think that's the nice thing about Australian wine is it doesn't really have any precursor to it. They're not precious about history or what's gone before. They like to experiment and, and do new things with their wine. And I think that's really allowed them to kind of push the boundaries of the sorts of products that they've that they've come up with. Um, and it makes us some really different and interesting experiences at each one you visit. So I, I think we've got a whole episode on food and wine uh, uh, destinations coming up soon, but I love a nice glass of wine. I particularly do like Australian wine. Um, if I want to head to Australia and I want to do a bit of a wine tour, how how would I go about that? Rather than just turn up, do you just drive up to a winery or a vineyard or what would you do? I think if you were choosing to go to the Hunter Valley, then taking a day tour from Sydney might be a good way. And it's a good option to make sure you're, you've got a designated driver. 
Um, so you can have someone pick you up from your Sydney hotel in the morning. They'll take you out to the Hunter for a full day of wine tasting and wine tours. You'll obviously have some great meals and, and sort of perhaps do cheese tasting or something in between uh, tasting all of your wines. But that's a really good way to sort of be escorted around um, some of these vineyards. Um, but equally, you can do your own thing. Like if you want to head down the south coast, um, if you stop off at a place called um, Cupid's Estate, that's in the Shoalhaven wine region, it's sort of easily accessible off the self-drive routes if you're heading between sort of Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and that's got a great restaurant there. And they're equally, if you just want to walk in and do a wine tasting, they take walk-ins at most of the cellar doors as well. So you can do your own thing and you'll see lots of brown signs with a uh, vineyard written on them and, you know, a winery. And uh, so you can turn, take a turn off the main road or the main highway when you see those signs, just if you want to see what it's like and, um, and check it out. Um, the last time I was driving along the south coast, we did that and found a small little winery that we never knew was there. So, you know, you can just explore some of these vineyards that are part of these bigger wine regions um, by yourselves as well. Um, but yeah, if you want your designated, uh, designated driver, then doing a tour is also, of course, a good option. And do some of the vineyards actually have hotels as well? Yeah, so um, the Hunter Resort in the Hunter Valley is one option. They've got a um, vineyard uh, on site. They do wine tasting on site and they've also got great accommodation there. Um, so there's definitely options to stay in the vines. Um, and uh, yeah, you get to taste your tipple and then I suppose stagger back to your hotel when, you, when you're finished. <laughs> Dave, I'm, I'm guessing you've sampled a few beverages while down under. Uh, yes, a, a few, Steve. Yeah, but yeah, you're absolutely—it's just a great experience, not just the wine, but like as Siobhan said, the, the the accommodation, the food, the cheese. It's just a great part of not just Australia, but any you know food and wine holiday. It's just just adds a different dimension to it, you know. And the, and the day tip, day trip from Sydney is a great idea to the Hunter Valley. Yeah. I think that's also worth mentioning as well that there's lots of other things that you can do in some of these wine regions. So if you do want to stay over. Um, but perhaps, you know, not everybody's as big into their wine. There's things like um, horse riding tours that you can do through the vineyards. You can take hot air balloon rides over the vineyards as well. Um, there's lots of other kind of options for, for different people. Um, if they don't just want to do, you know, day after day of wine tasting, I think there's a lot more to experience beside that. And perhaps something that you can't find anywhere else in the world that you can definitely find in an Australian vineyard is kangaroos. So it's also a great place to spot some of the wildlife. Um, as much as the winemakers might not like the kangaroos hopping through the vineyards, it certainly makes for a great site for any visitor that's traveling there. So that's a, a really um, unique experience to Australia is that you can yeah, be tasting your Australian wines with um, you know, that quintessential Australian wildlife hopping around you as well. Amazing, and we've mentioned a few times Byron Bay. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'll, I'll start because it was a long time since I was there and I know it's changed. So essentially, um, Byron Bay, it's, um, I can't remember how far it is, quite a drive, is it 19 hours from Sydney, it's up right up to the coast, sort of near sort of Queensland. And it used to be a very sort of famous backpackers um, sort of resort, really. And there's a famous um, lodge called the, the Art Factory Lodge, where I stayed probably, I went there for a week and I think I was there a couple of months until I ran out of money and I had to go back to Sydney to, to and basically they, we used to have they used to have music every night and we used to help set, set up the bands and it was just a very a very cool place to chill in those days when I was a youngster the beaches are amazing and it was a bit more 
I guess I think now it's a lot more upmarket. There's a lot more luxury properties there and, and the hotels as well. Where when I was there, there wasn't an awful lot there apart from the Art Factory Lodge and this amazing beach. And they've got a lighthouse there as well. But it's a surfing beach as well. So it's fantastic for surfing. But Siobhan will probably better tell us how it's changed these days. But it was quite an iconic destination in those days. I think it still retains some of that as well definitely mm. it's still got that kind of bohemian style mm. lifestyle um you know they've fought very hard to keep some of the major kind of you know consumer brands and things like that out of the town so it kind of maintains this um artsy boutique feel to it so there's definitely some of that um that heritage about byron bay that remains uh, there are though as you say there's quite a few luxury options available in, um, near to the town as well so you've got the byron at byron resort which is a beautiful um, resort right sort of you know on the beach and you've got the rainforest around you um does stunning food it's got a beautiful pool and spa there's also the elements of byron resort as well which is um another few kilometers outside of byron but again offers that super luxury experience so if people want that kind of real chill time and downtime and pamper themselves in Byron, they can definitely do that. But I think as well, there is also still the local producers, the local um, artists, the local um, craft beer makers, all of that kind of thing that keeps it, it gives it its sort of independent um, nature. And, and that's, that's definitely still there for people to discover as well. So there really is something for everybody, isn't it? This is the, the great thing about Australia. So you said that's 19 hours, about 19 hours from Sydney. Yeah, um, I mean, this is giving you the idea of just how big New South Wales is. Um, there are so many different places to go, places to do. We've spoken about you can get uh, buses and travel across the country. We've said about trains. Um, if you were to sort of hire a car um, and you want to do a bit of a, a self-drive trip, what sort of route might you take, uh, Siobhan, if, uh, for a first timer, let's say? Are you happy, confident driving, you've done Sydney for a couple of days, then what might you do? So I would really recommend for first timers to New South Wales, there's a great little sort of four day loop that you can do if you want to do a sort of Sydney to Sydney itinerary. So perhaps if you're then looking at flying on to somewhere else in Australia, then this is potentially a good option. And it covers some of the, the destinations that we've touched on. But if you drive um, west to the Blue Mountains, then you can get that amazing natural experience. You can go bushwalking or um, stop off at places like Scenic World to get those amazing valley views. Then you can head um, north towards the Hunter Valley and do your wine tasting experience there and then spend your third night. If you go further back towards the East Coast, you can stop off at Port Stephens, which is another really popular uh, beach destination um, with beautiful beaches, um, beautiful national park as well, but also great um, Aboriginal culture. So they also have these um, amazing sand dunes, uh, which are the largest sort of coastal uh, dune system in the Southern Hemisphere, where they can take you out on a quad bike or big four by four vehicle and you can explore the amazing sort of natural landscape which is just pretty awe-inspiring in itself but you can also do that with an Aboriginal guide and learn about some of the Aboriginal culture in that region um, and then you can loop back down south to Sydney which is about a two and a half hour drive or so so that that easily fits into sort of four days if you spent a night in each of those destinations um, and as I say it helps you to kind of link it back to Sydney and it also gives you that sort of taste of the diversity of New South Wales um, but then if you want to connect it with another um, state or you know if, as we said you can certainly drive north to Byron Bay and then hop over to the Queensland border 
or you can drive south towards um, Victoria and Melbourne. And if you're driving along the south coast of New South Wales, you can stop off at great destinations like Jervis Bay, which has got its sort of resident pod of dolphins that you can go out and um, try and spot on a, on a dolphin watching cruise. Again, it's a great place to um, spot whales from as well during the whale watching season. There's some fantastic glamping options down there as well. So perhaps you want that Australian bush experience, but with a bit of a taste of luxury and um, places like Paper Bark Camp um, near Jervis Bay are a great option for that sort of experience. Um, and yeah, it, the, the sort of Australian wildlife continues. There's a great little town called Naruma and just off the coast there, there's an island called Montague Island. Um, and there they've got Australian fur seals um, that you can actually get in and swim with if you want to. So there's some great sort of wildlife options, I think, for those going south. And you could probably spend about three to four days as well on the New South Wales south coast um, before you then hit the Victoria border and continue your journey on from there. I'm sold. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's quite a lot, <laughs> a lot to take on. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of different options. Um, but yeah, that Sydney to Sydney loop gives you a great taste of New South Wales, and it's an easy add-on then to you know a broader Australia trip if that's something that you're looking to do. Anything you'd add to that, Dave? I mean, you've obviously sent hundreds, if not thousands, of clients to Australia over the years as well. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, it's just a great destination as a, a bigger trip to Australia as well, there's so much more, but I think you, some people don't spend enough time there. They think a, sort of a couple of days would be enough, but you do need much more time in Sydney. It's just uh, one of my favorite cities in the world, yeah. So let's talk about time then. Um, how long would you, let's say you're a first timer, um, going to Australia for the first time, you've chosen New South Wales, how, what's an ideal time frame to, to book? Um, in terms of time spent in the destination, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, as we said, you know, three or four days in Sydney plus three or four days exploring the regions, that easily gives you a week. So, I mean, that that really allows you to actually slow down and enjoy the place as well. I think otherwise there's a tendency to really rush through things and you'll come back from your holiday more exhausted than you went. Um, so, you know, you want to make sure it's an enjoyable experience and an enjoyable holiday. Um, so I think trying to spend a week, if you want to incorporate multiple destinations within New South Wales, would um, definitely be the minimum that we'd suggest. Uh, and obviously it's scalable then as to how much time, you know, how much time you've got. Some people choose to get in a camper van and just hit the road and then, you know, they make their journey, um, make their sort of journey up a little bit as they go along. Um, you know, you can stop off at different camper van sites and park up for the night. And then perhaps you want to spend longer in one destination before you head on to the next and you can kind of choose that as you go. So that's another option for perhaps those more intrepid uh, travelers or people who want a bit more flexibility. Um, but yeah, I'd say I'd say a minimum of a week. Um, but absolutely, you know, the New South Wales is your oyster, I should say. There's uh, definitely plenty to go around. And as uh, Dave said, you could spend a month there easily. And this is probably an unfair question, but as a first timer going that I've never been, I'd like to go. What's the one thing you'd say don't miss? Oh, yeah, it's unfair. It's so hard. <laughs> Which one's your favourite child, isn't it? Is a good question. Yeah. Um... Dave, there's so many preference? things, isn't there? <laughs> there's so many things. When well, if I was going to Sydney, I wouldn't miss the rocks area. I'm, I really love the rocks area, Sydney. Circular Quay, you can't not go to Circular Quay and, and the rocks, they're both sort of in the same area. So I think that's you know, that'd be a, a must for me, uh, to be honest. And I suppose my sort of one thing, it's, hard, it's probably a bit of a cheeky answer to the question, but 
I would say if you do one thing when you visit Sydney, Sydney, it's also go out and visit somewhere else. And so whether that's taking a day trip to the Blue Mountains, taking a day trip to the mm -hmm. Hunter Valley, or perhaps visiting Royal National Park down on the south coast, it that if you do one thing in Sydney, there's so much that's accessible on Sydney's doorstep. It makes complete sense to go out and explore the regions mm -hmm. and get a bit more for your experience. Um, you can easily do some of these things within a day if you don't have time mm -hmm. to spend overnight, but it's definitely worth um, exploring further afield so you get a bit different ex Australian experience. And uh, more general questions, I guess. We know it's going to take a while to get to Australia, but uh, how would you build, uh, let's say you're going for at least a week, two weeks, how do you beat the jet lag? Don't well, sleep. I think <laughs> yeah, stay awake on the plane, I suppose, often helps. Um, but yeah, as I say, I think I think arriving in the evening, I certainly personally, I find that that really helps. Because um, as you say, you set, you're awake sort of um, from quite a lot of your journey over there. So you're tired enough. And if you just manage to stay up until sort of 10, 11 o'clock, try and get to a sort of normal bedtime, then you'll probably find you sleep through the, most of the, the night. And then you'll, mm. you know, you'll feel a bit more refreshed the next day. Um, sometimes landing at sort of you know six o'clock in the morning can be a bit of a struggle then if you want to try and stay awake for the full day so that's just a little bit of a tip but also I think if you're landing in Sydney there's there's so much to do that the best thing to do is just to get out and start exploring because actually you'll be okay. so distracted by everything that's going on that you you won't feel tired anymore you'll um, you'll want to just keep going and make the most of your time there and well, I guess one thing I always did sorry Steve <laughs> one thing I always did was set my I set my clock to Sydney time before I leave before I leave London, I set my clock to Sydney time. So I always know what time of day it is in Sydney to try and get used to that. But I agree with what Siobhan says, when you get there, rather than just try and go to sleep whatever time of the day it is, which you sort of have the tendency to do, is just get out and start start doing stuff. Whether it's, if you get there late, you go and have a night out. Um, if you get in the day, go and explore. So you, and you're right, if you get to the, the normal bedtime, rather than trying to sleep at like, midday or something that's going to take longer to recover so it's trying even if you have to stay up a bit longer to, to get there then I've, that's always helped you and we were talking about this before we came on air as well um there's this common misconception possibly that it's going to be expensive australia is so far away um it could be expensive to go to but you're actually saying dave that prices these days are still very similar to what you used to pay years ago Yes, Stephen, this will, this will sound a bit strange. And it may surprise a few people. So the first time I flew to Australia, and I'm going to expose my age here. Um, first time I flew to Australia was 1979, no, 1980. So that was whew, 40 years ago. So 40 years ago, and I paid £660. I flew with Qantas, £660 in those days, 40 years ago. Now, you can still you can still fly to Australia for probably not very much more if you go sort of in the low season, sort of April, May, June time. So when you look at it that way, it hasn't really changed um, in price, which is amazing. I mean, it's still more expensive to go in December, um, which is which is going to be peak season. But in 40 years, the price hasn't changed. And when I, you know, with customers, when I used to talk to customers, I used to price it per mile. So if you, if you split the 660 into 12,000, it's a very low cost per mile. Where can you go for this much per mile? Um, and when you're there, you've got a choice of, of hotels. You can, you know, there's a range right up to sort of fantastic luxury hotels, motels. So you, 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 know, you can stay, you know, there's a great range of accommodation over there. 
and I guess that's it. It really is something for every budget. And it's mm. in terms of like bang for your buck, mm. um, a trip to Australia can be a lot more affordable than you imagine, but also you're going to get a lot more value compared to two weeks in the sun in Europe. Mm. Yeah, but also you know, a lot of people have got friends and relatives as well. So what I've always said to people is, yeah, you can go see your friends and relatives and stay there for a few days, but don't stay there for a month. Because you know, it's like, and people will go to see their relatives and stay there for a month and not see any of Sydney or or New South Wales or, or Australia. So yeah, use your friends and relatives and, and have a sort of cheap week or something, and don't pay for accommodation, and then it gives you, you know, the opportunity to spend more money on on the rest of it. But but you know, I know people that will stay, go and fly to Sydney, stay in the western suburbs for four weeks, and then fly home, and it's you know, and with not seeing anything and. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a, a big variety of of, and of of accommodation here. And of experiences, I think as well. Like even mm. just from a food perspective, I, I mentioned about some of the more fine you know fine dining options. But there's also great just holes in the wall and street food and great cafes. I mentioned the barbecues, so you can have your own barbecue for you know a, a day or you know do that for a couple of days. So there's mm. definitely ways to keep the cost down if there's anyone that wants to try and do it you know on a bit more of a budget. Um, but yeah, I think as you say, it's it's actually the value that you get from that experience. There's so much to see and do that actually once you're there, um, you know, you're getting so much more for your money um, than perhaps you would for you know your, your sort of typical maybe fly and flop destination that sort of thing. So it's um it's a really great value proposition in that sense. Mm. Well, I think some people one of the um, uh, reasons for not going for some people is they say that it's it's a long way to go. But the way I say to people is that. If you're indoors at the weekend and it's raining all weekend and you don't leave the house. So if you don't leave the house for a day, for 24 hours, what do you do? Where well, you watch TV, you eat, you drink, you sleep. That's no different than flying to Australia. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. So you can spend a day indoors. Well, why not spend a day on a plane and you can break the journey as I you know, stop for refueling or, or, or break the journey. And That's so that's the way I compare it. It's actually no different than staying indoors for a weekend for one day. So one final question from me then, um, we talked about sort of peak season and what um, different times of year for potentially sporting activities for wildlife. Um, it does sound like there's probably something all year round in New South Wales, but is there a good time of year to go? Well, we're really fortunate in New South Wales that it is a quite a temperate climate. So, you know, there's no sort of bad time to go, as you say, um, you know, you get pretty warm temperatures throughout the year. The further north you go, the more tropical it is and the further south, the more temperate. So, um, you know, Byron Bay in the winter still be a, a healthy sort of 20, 21 degrees during the day. So you still get that warmth um, in Australia and New South Wales, um, particularly all year round. Um, but it's definitely worth having a look at whether you can perhaps um, plan your trip around a certain event. You've mentioned sport, but there's also great arts and cultural events that take place throughout the year. Um, Vivid Sydney actually takes place in uh, Australia's winter. That's um, a large festival of lights, music and ideas. So they've got great music festivals. They've got all these fantastic light installations which take over the city. So you've got the Sydney Opera House lit up in beautiful colours and um, lots of other kind of interactive light installations around the city. So that's sort of May and June every year. Um, obviously, you've got things like Sydney New Year's Eve, but that's, you know, it's a busy time to go. But 
um, if you go during Vivid, they've also got great fireworks as part of that festival. So it's perhaps a New Year's Eve alternative. Um, but then, yeah, you've got things like um, the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, which takes place in February, um, February to March. You've got Handa Opera on Sydney Harbour, which is a fantastic outdoor opera event, which takes place in March and April each year. So there's there's lots of fantastic events. And then, of course, you go into some of the regional food festivals which are going on throughout New South Wales, such as Hunter Valley um, Wine and Food Month, which is in June, or the Orange Food Festival, which is April. So it kind of doesn't really matter when you go. There's definitely going to be something something new and something different to experience, that's for sure. Amazing. So really is so much for everyone. Um, I think that's a great place to end today's podcast. Any final thoughts from you, Dave, on uh, New South Wales? Only one, um, one thing, and um, it's a little bit of a funny story. Um, so, you know, when you go abroad to Australia, uh, anywhere, and you say to somebody, if you're ever in the UK, look me up, and you don't always expect them to. And um, be careful saying that because people do turn up on your doorstep, and it has happened to me in, in a nice way. But um, no, my um, is if you're thinking of going, yeah, just go there. You know, don't worry about the flight time, think of the time of year. Um, New Year, you must experience. I think uh, a Christmas in the sun is always a great experience. And New Year's Eve in Sydney is one of the best places to see New Year's Eve. Fantastic, Dave. And Siobhan, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's been great to, to talk about Sydney and New South Wales with, with both of you. And, and hopefully it inspires people to um, experience Sydney, but not just Sydney, and, and to get out and explore some of the, the diverse regions of New South Wales as well. Um, as Dave said, they're very friendly and warm and welcoming people. And I know they'll be um, very pleased to see international visitors again soon. And uh, yeah, definitely hit the beach. Try and soak up some of that Australian lifestyle. Live like an Aussie for the, as long as you're there. So yeah, do the barbecues, have a go at surfing. It is for everyone. I trust trust me. You can you can be as useless as anything, but it's definitely worth, you know, worth giving it a go. It's a lot of fun. And what better place to learn than somewhere like Bondi Beach or Byron Bay? I mean, that's a, as I said, the real sort of epitome of that Australian lifestyle. So yeah, go there, try and live like an Aussie, have your avocado on toast, all of those things. Um, and uh, and enjoy it. Yeah, we can't wait to to welcome more people. Brilliant. Well, thank you. I'm definitely going to be booking a trip uh, to the Hunter Valley to soak up some of that uh, Australian culture. Uh, thank you both very much for today. And if you are interested in finding out more about Australia, um, we did back way back when episode number three of uh, the travel podcast. Uh, you can find it on our website. Uh, we did a first time traveling to Australia podcast and we talked about all different destinations. So you could uh, link that in with a trip to New South Wales. Um, thank you both for today and uh, hopefully um, hear you again very soon. The Travel Podcast is sponsored by Not Just Travel, where it's not just travel, it's a way of life. We hope you liked this podcast. And if you did, please tell your friends, but also take a moment to rate us on iTunes as it helps spread the word. Thanks for listening.